Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast, with Tony Maradero. No, 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 no. It's with me, Matt O'Han. The Sickest Montreal Canadiens Podcast. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6 beer. Intense by nature. And Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the Cup, it's time you went back to Lacage. It's going to be sick. Good Friday evening, everyone. Welcome to the Sick Podcast. Tony Marinero is off tonight, so exit the Italian stallion and enter the Hebrew Hammer. That's right. And Yellow dropped off some swag at my house. I'm very excited to be showing it off to all of you watching and to all my friends later when they see this sick sweatshirt that I have. Just very, very excited about this personal branding that I have. These guys treat me well. They treat me well. Uh, Sick podcast brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. It is a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. And uh, speaking of being different, bit of a different week for the Montreal Canadiens in contrast to last week. Uh, last week, last time I spoke to you, the Canadiens were riding high. The next day, they won 5-4 to four against the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's just an amazing game. This week, uh, a little different. And uh, to talk about this week and the Canadiens at large and some other storylines, uh, we're going to bring in Matt Drake of Habs Eyes on the Prize. Very easy to remember his name as he has the same name as mine. I like your choice. Matt, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Uh, so, like I said, Canadians 0-2 this week uh, as, of, uh, as of Monday. And, you know, it's funny because when I was talking about last week's win against Detroit, uh, where the Canadians won in a shootout, I, I said I wasn't impressed with that win. And I guess it's better to be on that side of it of not deserving to win but coming away with the points than deserving the points and not coming away with any and lo and behold here we are after columbus so uh, i'm just curious if you saw it the same way pretty much exactly i mean the if you play that detroit game 10 times i think they lose nine of them uh but if you take that that last game against columbus if they played 10 times i think they win nine of them uh statistically i mean they had better scoring chances they have more shots 
they controlled the play. They controlled possession, uh, but they couldn't come out with a win. I mean, a couple of brain farts really hurt them in that game. Uh, so you don't like to see a game like that where they lose it based on those little brain farts. But, I mean, again, yeah, it's kind of payback for that Detroit game. So I guess you can take it. Yeah, so the, the, those things will always even out. And you you wrote a you wrote a quick little hit piece uh, about uh, not too long of a read. So I suggest everyone go uh, go out uh, onto Habs Eyes on the Prize and give it a read. Uh, kind of you know making the the case for sitting David Savard, and you go you go into a little bit deeper on your own podcast. Uh, I'm I'm curious because I've been his you know number one fan all season. I mean, I've been ringing this guy's uh, endorsements. I mean, he should have me as an agent for Christ's sake at this point. So I, 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 I'm curious, bring, bring your argument to our audience. So when I'm, when I'm looking at that pairing right now, I'm seeing Kane Gooley carrying it. Um, they don't have very good numbers overall, but just based on the eye test, when you look at it, Caden Gooley is a lot better possession wise. He's capable of taking the puck up ice and affecting transition more. David Salar, where he's really being effective more is in shot blocking. And as far as I'm concerned, shot blocking doesn't carry the mail. It's it's not something that's necessarily going to translate into wins. When you look at the overall statistics right now, they are likely to get outscored every time that they're on the ice together. And I think Caden Gooley needs a new partner. So when I look at the defense and I look at Mike Matheson coming back, he's got experience playing on the right side, and I'd like to see him get inserted there. And it's not necessarily me having a problem with David Savard. I think he needs a couple of games off. And... I think that they're better off continuing to evaluate some of their younger players to see how do those guys fit moving forward. I know it's not a popular idea to sit David Savard, but frankly, just from looking at it right now, I'd like to see what can Caden Gooley do away from him. And then I don't know where David Savard fits in after he's taken off that top pair. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, It's, when you you say it's not the most popular idea, but again, listen, I'm open to uh, I'm open to these discussions because I'm a like I said, I'm a big fan of his. But always, this is a season where you get to try out different things because you know you win games, people are happy. You lose games, no one really cares because you're kind of supposed to be losing games. So um, again, just I, I agree. I agree in the sense that you know it, it could be time for a refresh. The defense has looked a little stale, um, but. Uh, it's just for me, the thing with you have a guy like David Savard and it's been like this since the beginning of the season, you mentioned shot blocking and I agree with you. It's not an impressive stat to be thrown out there because if you're blocking a lot of shots, you're not in the offensive zone and it's not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. But the, uh, the other side of the coin that I'm going to throw at you is, you know, in the intangibles, which not a, a lot of people are fans of, but you know, you have this very, very young team, very inexperienced team having the season that they are kind of exceeding expectations right now. And he's going out there from the beginning of the season, game one and showing those young guys, Hey, we're expected, you know, people could say what they want about us that we're expected to lose, but we're still going to be doing all the right things. And I'm going to put my body on the line every game and do the right thing. So it's the way I see that pairing, it's kind of a chicken in the egg scenario. You know, it's, is it David Savard who's insulating Caden Gooley really well, or is it Caden Gooley in your eyes, you know, carrying that pairing? It's just mm. an interesting way of looking at it. It's, it's a smart way to look at it too. And that's what I want to find out. Right. I mean, I'm watching these games and based on my eye test, I think that Gooley is the one carrying the pairing. I could be wrong about that, though. And the only way to find out is to separate them and see, can he carry the water himself, uh, Kid Gooley, that is, without Savard being on the other side of that pair? I think he can. 
but again, the only way that we're going to figure that out is if, of course, we we have them separated at some point. So I'd like to see them do it, give it a shot, and see if something else works. I mean, Mike Matheson's a bit of a better um, possession guy anyways. I think you might be able to get more possession out of them. You might be able to get the puck going the other way more often, spending more time in the offensive zone and letting some of your young forwards as well get an opportunity to show what they can do um, and showcase as well some of your guys that you're potentially going to have coming up uh, on the trade block when the deadline rolls around. So, again, I I agree with you 100%. It's entirely possible that David Savard is helping insulate him, but I, I want to see, is he ready to run and give him that opportunity? Mm. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of Habs fans are ready for that uh, because just of the start of the season he's had, just been an incredible defenseman. Yeah. Uh, another one, just ex- exceeding expectations, really. I mean, we, we all knew he was NHL ready based off the preseason, but I don't think anyone knew he would be as effective and as good as he is as that as that top-pairing guy. Uh, I, I don't know if you caught this, but uh, our own Tony Marinaro spoke to Jeff Gordon over uh, on Monday, and one of the guys brought up was... You know, he's the man of the hour, Nick Suzuki. So I just want to play a little bit of a clip for, uh, for you first from that interview. No doubt. You know, when everyone talks about you need a number one centerman to win the Stanley Cup, at least he's yep. a number one centerman for sure. There's no doubt, eh? I mean, I, I certainly think that now, yeah. I uh, you Consider his age, the way he plays a 200-foot game, uh, the way he rises to occasions, the way he makes people better. Uh, and like I said, from the moment I got here till now, he, he, he just keeps getting better. So, you know, he's a, he's a point-of-game guy now. Uh, there's no reason to think that he's not going to continue to do those kind of things. So, for me, yeah, I think our organization feels very strong that he's, you know, a number one center. So, I, I don't think that's anything groundbreaking. I think it's a nice, very ringing endorsement. It's not news to anyone that Nick Suzuki is the number one center. But what I'm interested in is he said he's on a he, – he's well, he is literally on more than a point of a, a, point of game pace. He's, he's on pace for over 100. Um, I, don't, I, I, think, I don't think personally he'll get there this year. But I'm curious to, to get your thoughts. What do you think – you know, now that we're seeing that more confident Nick Suzuki, what's his ceiling? What's his ceiling to you? I've said numerous times on on my podcast, other podcasts, I'll say it on your guys' as well. I believe firmly he's going to have multiple 90-point seasons during that contract that he signed. I wasn't sure that it was going to come this year. Uh, Every time that I've said that, I've always thrown in the caveat that I don't think it's necessarily going to come this year. It's going to be a tough season. Mm. But right now he's on pace for over 100, like you said. So I I think it's entirely possible that his first of those multiple 90-point seasons could come right now. I really always saw him as a player that could get over a point per game. And all he needed was the right line mates. Cole Caulfield is definitely one of those right line mates. And now it seems like Kirby Doc is the other right line mate. Mm-hmm. Somebody that can chip in uh, offensively, that can really help, you know, retrieve pucks in the offensive zone and, and add a bit of a more robust forechecking element with some size to go with it. Uh, it's it, it seems like the perfect storm for him to maybe get to that 90-point ceiling now. What's his – I guess ceiling was your, was your real question. Maybe his ceiling is 100-point player. Um, I mean, I had always – gravitated towards 90 maybe I was being a bit conservative on that front what we're seeing from him right now like you said a very confident player he can put the puck in the net and with the right line mates I mean you know with the elite level of passing that he has he's gonna get a certain amount of assists every single season so as long as those guys are putting the puck in the net too sky's the limit yeah, uh, I and you know what? I think that's the thing that nobody really expected. I mean, we all knew he was a fantastic setup man. You know, great two hundred foot player. We've heard a, we've heard it a million times. You know, he's this he's this generation's Patrice Bergeron. But I don't think anyone, including myself, saw his ability 
to put the puck in the net the way he is. I mean, he has, I mean, I don't think, again, I don't think it's going to end up this way when it comes season's end, but right now he has 11 goals and 10 assists. So more goals than assists, that's stuff you love to see from a center, that very much elusive center from this franchise forever. It's just, to me, it's, it's amazing to watch him. And, you know, you see him like this at 23 and, you know, it's just where that's, the problem is you don't want to you don't want to overshoot and then you're you're putting too much pressure and but but man he's looking like that hundred point guy and I'm not gonna I won't go out on a limb this uh, this year and say it but I, I think you're right in the in the ninety point range but the I mean just over the off season I don't know about you but I was not expecting this level of of actual goals coming from him not that fast anyways and plus like he's doing it super creatively. You look at that goal against Columbus, right? He's cutting around behind the net and just uses his vision. I mean, normally he's looking to pass in that situation, but that was clearly intentional to bank it off the pad and put it in the net. Uh, he's, he's just got a nose for it right now, and he's got the confidence to go for those plays. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him pull off a of Michigan at some point this season with the rate at which he's putting the puck in the net and the confidence with which he's using his shot, uh, particularly on the power play. You see when he comes down from the point and he shoots from like that top of the circle area, that's his spot. And, and he's super confident letting it go from there. And he's got a really accurate shot. He might not have the velocity of an Austin Matthews or a Cole Caulfield, but just the confidence with which he's putting it on the net. I mean, again, right now he's on pace for more goals than Cole Caulfield. And if somebody told you that before the season, you probably slap him and say, get out of here. There's no way. <laughs> but right now, if, if things keep going the way they are, that's exactly what's going to happen. And a lot of that boils down to, as you mentioned, that confidence and his creativity, he's just using it uh, in any way he can to get the puck into the net and, and it's working for him. So back, back on that interview on Monday between Tony and uh, Jeff Gorton, they also obviously brought up Cole Caulfield and they brought up his contract situation. So let's play that clip right now. And yellow and Sammy, please. Every management team wants the best bang for their buck. They want to be as, as much under the cap as they can. Um, with every goal that Cole scores, uh, yeah, I'm saying to myself, uh, okay, assign this guy already. So can you, there's a bunch yep. of people watching right now, and I, I think everyone's confident that Cole is going to be at Montreal Canadian for a long time. At yeah, least we all hope so. So yeah. how is that going? Yeah. Uh, well, um, we've had conversations with Cole's agent about when is the right time and when it's not going to be a distraction. And he understands where we are and that we want Cole to be here a long time. And Cole wants the same thing. So I, I have no worries at all about Cole and, and being a Montreal Canadian for a while. Not at all. We have a great relationship with his agent. And like I said, Cole's a huge part of this team and he wants to be here. So, you know, that time will come, you know, whether it's a week, a month or two months, uh, you know, works. We'll, we're just getting to that now, but I would say to the, your listeners and yourself, don't worry about it. Cole's going to be here. So uh, I wasn't worried about him not being here. Uh, I don't think you were judging me by your uh, facial expressions, but I'm curious. So at this point, do you want to see him or are you expecting two part question? One, are you expecting the same deal as Suzuki or are you, are you thinking it's going to be more than that? I mean, I think it depends when they do it. Uh, props to Tony for asking Jeff that question because I have been in the camp of sign him as soon as humanly possible. Uh, try to keep that number down a little bit. But the thing with the Suzuki deal is that it kind of sets a bit of an internal cap, right? 
even if Caulfield gets to 40 goals or even if he gets to 50 this season, if he doesn't outscore Nick Suzuki in terms of points, it's going to be tough for him to go into negotiations and say, well, I need 9 million a season because they're going to come back with, well, we've got Nick, Nick Suzuki at under 8 million per season. So hmm. that internal cap is going to come into play when they sign him. I think he's going to get something around what Nick Suzuki has. I think it might be a little bit north because of the goal scoring ability, but I think it's further north the longer that you wait, because if he gets to 50 at the end of the season, that's a significant number that his agent can use in those negotiations. And it's going to be very tough for the Montreal Canadiens to say no, because of course you're not giving up a 50 goal scorer. We haven't had a 40 goal scorer since Vincent Danfus. You're not letting him walk. You're going to make sure that you get that deal done. I think it's all about, getting to a number, as Tony said, that's, you know, easy to stomach for everybody around the organization and the fans as well. So I think it's going to be around what Nick has. It could be a little bit North, but do it fast. Don't wait. The longer you wait, the higher that number could end up getting. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And it, but you know, I, it's, I, this question came to my mind today just cause you know, I, I saw a clip on Twitter that was, it was Kent Hughes on another podcast saying that when Patrice Bergeron was his client, he said to Patrice Bergeron, I could get you $9 million. Easy. Done. Forget about it. And, he, and then he said, well, if I take $9 million, we can't pay anyone else. We're not going to win. And then Marshawn, in negotiations with the Bruins, said, I can't make more. I'm not going to sign more for Bergeron. So I, I think that's kind of the precedent that they're setting. And it's a, it's a nice, refreshing way to look at contracts because – I've always been a, a big advocate of, you know, pay, don't pay for what they've done, which is what we saw with Gallagher. And, you know, it's a new precedent. It's a new era. And I think they're trying to set a little bit of that in and it could really set them up for success down the line when you need that guy who's, uh, you know, there's a hot shot free agent on the market. Montreal is up and coming. And then, you know, he says, oh, well, I want to be a part of that team. I might take a pay loss, but I believe in this team. Yeah. Yeah. And um, if you have two of your top line players, like, you know, your number one goal scorer and then your number one, I guess, point scorer in general, Nick Suzuki and your number one center, if you have them locked up, both of them around the 8 million mark, that is a great piece of business because the cap's going to be going up. And then when there are those marquee free agents or when you have other people that come up for contracts as well, right? I mean, your Slavkovsky, they're burning the first year of his ELC. Now, if he takes off during that time, they're going to have to pay him too. Um, they've they've got a number of players that are going to be up for deals, so it's going to be important for them to make sure they can manage those costs. So again, if, if they can set that internal cap, if they can set that precedent, then they're going to get good deals and they're going to be competitive in the future because they're going to have the ability to pay some additional free agents to come and play for them as well. So next guy I want to talk about is the uh, the third man or the drink or the fries to that uh, to that trio, which is Kirby Doc. You brought him up before. Another great week for him. I mean, every time this guy steps on the ice, it's it's really the graph is going in the right direction. It's just straight linear progression. At this point, you know, is it is it safe to say, at least for just this season, winger? No more left I, at center? Yeah, I'm saying for now, yeah, he's, he's a winger. Um, maybe... <laughs> The thing about developing a player is like maybe they maybe that's the forest that the Blackhawks missed when they were looking at the trees is they were so focused on him being a center and they didn't give him the opportunity to go out and play the wing. I mean, Montreal puts him on the wing and immediately we have a player who's basically at a point per game at this point. Uh, I think he's got 15 in, in 17 games, if I'm not mistaken. So he's pretty darn close to that point per game production. And this is a far cry from what he was putting up in Chicago. 
Um, I think for the remainder of this season, at the very least, they keep him on that line, see how well this works. And you have other centers coming up anyways. You got Owen Beck coming up potentially as early as next year. Um, you, you still have enough depth in the organization to get by as you get through the rebuild and potentially add some more in the draft or maybe through free agency. So I don't think it's a necessity for him to be a center long-term. I think you let him play there for the rest of this season and find out, is he a long-term solution for that line? Because they've tried everything. They've tried everyone that they have. They've tried Josh Anderson. Uh, the only person they haven't tried yet really is, is your Slavkovsky, and I don't think he's ready for a role like that anyways. So I think at this point, the best thing for the team and maybe for him as well is to keep him there and see if that's you know a long-term fit. So jump, jumping to another player you mentioned, and it, it brings up a bigger discussion is because, uh, you know, I think we're both in agreement that this team will start dealing. They do have a plan. And, you know, the, even heading into the offseason, I, I, I don't think this team, I mean, unless they land a Connor Bedard, which is looking less and less likely nice. by the day. Yeah, it would be nice. It would be. But it's looking less and less likely by the day. And hey, if this is the reason why it's looking less likely and the team looks like this, I'm I'm willing to swallow that pill. Um, but when they start dealing, I'm even looking into the offseason. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Are there any untouchables on this team? Because you mentioned the name of Josh Anderson, and I find he's a very it's there's a huge dichotomy when it comes to him. You know, people either love him or they or they just, you know, it's enough. So I, I'm curious to see where you stand on him. You know, if the Canadians get you know, obviously no player is untradeable because if they offer if the Oilers are offering you know, Connor McDavid for Josh Anderson, you're going to take it. But, you know, realistically, a realistic offer comes in. Are you are you keeping Josh Anderson or are you shipping him off? It depends on the offer. I think if it starts with a first round pick in the 2023 draft, uh, I, I would ship him out. That draft is that strong where the, the pretty much the entire first round, you have a very good shot, especially if your scouting has done well. You're, you're going to pick up players that are going to be a long time part of your organization. Um, I, I like Josh Anderson. I think there's a lot of value in what he brings, you know, high energy, skates real fast, shoots real hard. Uh, but there's not a lot of deception to his game. You kind of know what it is that he can do and what he can't do. And if a team is willing to part ways with a prospect and, and a first round pick in 2023, I would take it. I would not consider him to be untouchable. I think for an untouchable, you're talking about an elite few on this team. I think you're talking about Caulfield, Suzuki, um, maybe Slavkovsky as well in there. I, I think probably Slavkovsky in there and uh, potentially Caden Gooley. Uh, outside of that, I think almost everybody is going to be up for, for deals. Yeah, I'm right there with you because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people that I talk to and I, and I read, I'm, I'm reading a lot that, you know, there people are still holding out this hope on Josh, Josh Anderson. And what, I mean, I think you, you hit the, you hit the nail on the head perfectly, you know, great player. You know what he could do. He skates really fast, shoots really hard, plays hard. But it doesn't go much beyond that, which on the surface, you would say, what more do you need? Well, I mean, you get, you're also getting that once out of every four games, I would say. So he's yeah. also one of those, it's just, he hasn't been able to win me over when he's on, he's able to win me over. But uh, yeah, I mean, another guy like, uh, like a Christian Dvorak, curious to get your thoughts because he's quietly had himself a pretty nice season uh you know with all the spotlight off of him for, you know removing himself from that cock and yemi uh deal that that whole saga there so curious to get your thoughts on him because again just another young center i, I guess you could say pretty much the ideal third line centerman 
Pretty much. But again, he's another guy. I, I would have him on the block for sure. I think that's a move that Bevjavani did in a bit of a panic after losing Kakanyemi. Um, I, I don't, I think if you could go back and have a do over on that, I don't think you would trade that first round pick, uh, to go and acquire him. I think you'd hold on to it, but then again, you'd have the foresight of knowing where they're going to be and the fact that they were going to end up in last place. So you'd, you'd hang on to as many draft picks as you possibly could. Um, obviously with hindsight, we know what happened and I could go back and say, I wouldn't make that trade, but I don't know. Maybe I would make the trade anyways. At this point, I would have him available for trades as well. Again, I think you've got center depth and you've got centers coming up and you have a really strong crop in 2023. So same thing. There could be a team out there that's looking for a really effective third round center and willing to pay a first rounder in 2023. I bet you, even in the latter part of that 2023 first round, you can find yourself something better than Christian Dvorak. No knock against him. He has had a very quietly good start to his season so far, but I would potentially move him, particularly if I'm able to get um, uh, a first round pick in 2023. So uh, we're going to get to, we're going to get to the other side of the ice, but first uh, sick podcast brought to you by 8.6 beer. It is intense by nature. The beer for those who follow their instinct and live their passions in order to make their mark. The other side of the ice, uh, I set it off the top, bit of a different week for the Canadians. They went 0-2, and uh, I guess we could call it at this point, I don't know, you tell me, an uncharacteristic game for Samuel Montembeau, or was it just a hot start to the season? Uh, Again, just, it's hard to, you don't want to be too reactionary on these things, but, you know, it's, it's a real cause for concern when a player, you know, who has played well, you know, which side is the flash in the pan? Well, that's, I, I think it's par for the course with, with Samuel Montambo. It's almost like if he gets into a game, if he makes a couple of really nice saves in say the, the first period, then he's in for a real good game and he's going to, he's going to stop everything that comes at him. But if he starts poorly, if he lets in a bad one in, in the first period, or not even necessarily a bad one, but a little bit of a rough one, then you know you're, you're about to get shelled and he's going to have a rough game. It's it's all about the start for him. If he starts well, he plays well. If he doesn't start well, he doesn't play well. Um, so I feel like it's par for the course with him. I, I feel like earlier on in the season, he was just getting really good starts, and then he stays hot for the rest of the game. He's just a little bit too hot and cold in games. Um, I'd love it. I said it on my own podcast. I would absolutely love it if he just figured it out and all of a sudden became the the next starter for the Habs as Carey Price rides off into the sunset. But I, I don't see it, unfortunately. I think he's just a bit streaky uh, depending on how he starts games. And I think that's how he's going to continue to be. So they're going to have nights where he's going to steal games for them, but they're also going to have nights where he lets one in early and then gets down on himself and, and, and struggles for the rest of the game. And, and it's interesting because I find him and Jake Allen, while Jake Allen is, you know, obviously the proven vet, I, I think this is kind of the key. And it, it, I, this is the way I read it, is that when you see the Canadians make a move for a goaltender, just because, frankly, I don't see the hype around Caden Primo. I think that, uh, listen, I, I mean, I wish him all the success with his career, but I think with the Canadians, at least, that ship has sailed. Um, just, I, I really don't like what I've seen from him when he's up with the big club. I don't like from what I've seen in Laval. And I feel like when you see the Canadians, unless you see Montembeau make that step, once you see them draft that highly touted goaltender or go out and get another 1A, 1B situation with Jake Allen, that'll be the key 
to the sign, the sign for all of us covering the team, following the team, fans of the team, everyone. We're we're starting to build it. We're we're going for it now. Once we get that goaltender, because I don't know. I mean, I just feel like we're spoiled with Carey Price, and we think we need good goaltending. When in reality, you just need a hot goaltender. But I, I don't know. I think you need a battler. And uh, that'll be the key to this team. And and like you said, I would just love to see Samuel Montembeau to put it together um, because he is just, uh, he's an easy guy. He's an easy guy to root for, right? Oh, a hundred percent. Seems like a super nice guy. Every, I, I, I like him a lot. And again, I wish that he would develop into that goaltender, but I think patience is key with the Habs as well. That's why they gave the three years uh, at reasonable dollar amount to Caden Primo you still have um, Jakob Dobish and you have uh, Frederick Dichau that are both coming up uh, at different levels right now. Dichau's over in Europe. Uh, Dobish is in the NCAA. I think either one of those guys stands – they're a bit of dark horses to potentially take over the Habs net. So I think that's why they gave that deal to Caden Primo is because they're going to see, you know, they're going to kind of pit him and Multambo against each other for now with Jake Allen obviously being a steady presence for them. And then potentially one of those other two goaltenders that I mentioned, Dobish and uh, Dichau, one of those guys could develop into an NHL starter. They've both had really good starts uh, obviously one in the NCAA and one over in Europe. Um, and Dichau is a guy that uh, one of my colleagues that I has in the prize, Patrick Bexel, he talks very highly of him. Um, somebody that we might see in the next couple of years come over to Montreal. So speaking of goaltenders, I want to get to this comment uh, brought uh, that Joel commented. If you guys could throw that up there and yellow and Sammy, many people say that trade Jake Allen. I've maintained all along that one, uh, the one that should be traded is Caden Primo package him with Joel, uh, Yoel Armia and get in return, a good prospect ASAP. Uh, I mean, we just spoke about Caden Primo. I, I don't, I mean, he's still a young guy, right? So, I like I like the idea of keeping Jake Allen. I think Jake Allen is the presence that will be here um, for uh, a good amount for at least the remainder of his contract. But I, I don't see how, unless a team's willing to take a chance on a Caden Primo, and he's kind of the throw into that deal of a team trying to acquire Yoel Armia. I, I think uh, that's how I read it. How do you how do you see that one? I think it depends, right? I think if if you have a team that's really on the cusp of potentially winning a Stanley cup, but the one piece that they're missing is a reliable goaltender. Jake Allen could be a guy that you might be able to fleece a team for, and maybe they throw you a bunch of assets that you shouldn't be getting. I wouldn't trade Jake Allen for peanuts is, is what I'm saying here. You would have to make a significant offer and you don't often see teams throwing assets at uh, acquiring a goaltender. So I just don't think an offer worth taking is going to materialize for Jake Allen. I see him, as you said, sticking around and um, as for Caden Primo, I mean, he does come in at very reasonable dollars. Uh, so his contract could be attractive to a team, but he's going to have to play his way into that. Um, and so far, I don't think he's played his way into, again, an offer that would be worthwhile for the Montreal Canadiens to take. Uh, so as for Jake Allen in particular, uh, again, it, it would take a pretty good haul for, for me to say, yeah, let's give him up. I, I wouldn't trade him away for peanuts. So I'd, I'd be very careful if I was the Habs about trading him. Make sure you're getting something, you know, an offer that you absolutely can't refuse. Mm, yeah uh right there like uh like the godfather himself um so uh one last just one last one uh because it got brought up while we were talking about it quickly off the off the last comment uh this one's from chris why would a team want armia um i mean i'll I'll let you i'll let you take the reins on that one why make the case for someone taking on a yoel armia 
Well, um, the one thing that he does quite well is uh, puck retrieval in the offensive zone. So if you have, let's say, some problems on your in your bottom six, right? You're not really able to establish that heavy forecheck presence. Maybe you you struggle at getting a good cycle going and it's something that you want to incorporate into your game. Then you might want a Joel, uh, Joel Armia on your team. He's very good at uh, protecting the puck. He's very good at, uh, you know, if you put him into a cycle, he can do very well in that as well. He's good at puck retrieval in the corners. Uh, pretty good physical presence. He can go up against some big guys and take the puck off them. And yeah, he's got a pretty potent shot as well, so he can chip in offensively. I think if there's a team out there that wants him, it's going to be that kind of a team that, that needs to shore up their bottom six a little bit with a physical presence that can play the cycle and can, can retrieve pucks for them. If that's what you're looking for, then, uh, you know, Call up uh, Kent Hughes and Jeff Horton and see if maybe you can get your hands on you all, Armia. Yeah, that, well, there you go. That's a great, uh, it's a great sales pitch, and I think uh, I think Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon would be happy to take that call. Uh, Matt, uh, I want to thank you for joining me on this Friday night. Uh, just before I let you go, just tell everyone where they could find your stuff. Pretty simple. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter until Twitter ceases to exist at DrakeMT. Um, most of my writing, well, all of my writing, you'll find it at HabsEyesInThePress.com. Uh, and you can also find our podcast on Spotify, Apple. Uh, we have a number of different podcasts that we do at Eyes on the Prize. They're all just under Eyes on the Prize for Montreal Canadiens fans. Um, lots of content for you there. A lot of it coming from my colleague that I shouted out earlier, Patrick Bexel. Uh, does a fantastic job of covering European prospects. So if you don't know a lot about our European prospects, uh, you can find out about it through Habs Eyes and the Prize and Patrick Bexel. Well, there you go. Uh, so, Matt, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Yeah, you too. So there he goes. Uh, and the Canadians, we're going hockey heavy. So if you're sticking for the football picks, you got to wait around a little longer because uh, the Canadians are play- have an opponent tomorrow. But before we get to there, uh, we're, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Lacage because that's who this sick podcast is brought to you by as well. So if the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you go back to Lacage because the menu will surprise you. So the Canadians are at home tomorrow taking on the Philadelphia Flyers. And who better? to preview this game and give us a little bit of a picture about the Philadelphia Flyers than Anthony DeMarco of the fourth period. Anthony, how are you doing? Hey, what's going on, man? Sorry, I had my mic muted there for a sec. Uh, Glad to be here. Well, we're glad we're glad to have you because uh, Philly is not a team that travels here too, too often. So we don't get to see them too, too often in Montreal. So, uh, you know, Uh, We know what they don't do well, as John Tortorella so graciously (laughs) told us about two games ago. And for our listeners who haven't seen it, uh, go go right ahead, Aniello and Sammy. So far in the first 15-plus minutes. We suck. We haven't forechecked. We haven't done anything as of right now. What do you want to see differently? Forecheck. Thank you. Okay. Right, so they don't forecheck well, clearly. Uh, (laughs) But uh, what? so what does this team do well? They try hard. <laughs> That's basically what they do. They show effort each and every night. But in terms of, you know, putting up results, I mean, it was there for a bit in the early stages of the season, but they have two wins in the last 10 games. And, you know, once you get a decent enough of enough sample size of a team, I think the cream typically rises to the top. And I think that's what we're seeing here with the Philadelphia Flyers is that although their process in terms of expected goals and possession and territorial battle has been better the last six games or seven games at this point. The losses have started to pile up because, look, they just simply don't have enough talent and they're battling a lot of injuries. But I think a lot of teams are battling injuries right now. I feel like 
the beginning of the season has been something like we've never seen before in terms of injuries across the league. But you look at what the Flyers have sitting on their bench right now, or not so much on their bench, more on their IR. They have over $26 million in terms of JVR, Sean Couturier, Cam Atkinson, Ryan Ellis, who's probably never going to play hockey again. So for a team already lacking talent, they've been hit really hard with injuries, and they simply cannot have afforded to lose that with a team like this. And now we're starting to see them lose games in a lot in concession. Right. So uh, the the interesting thing that I when I take a look at the Flyers – for me, uh, like you said, is the injuries and man, that is just, you know, you said it yourself, $26 million on the shelf. That's, uh, yeah. that's a tough pill for any team to swallow. Um, but I guess the bright spot also is you said they try really hard. And one of those players who, I mean, can we say he's put it together yet? Carter Hart, just having a, a really great start to his season. Yeah, he's been excellent. And look, the last four games, sub 900 save percentage in each of the last four periods, or four periods, four games. But he still is hovering at, I think it's a 929 save percentage. And before these last four games, he was over 940. And he's been their MVP, 100%. You know, obviously, Travis Konechny has been an honorable second. But he has been the reason why they've won the lion's share of their games. And as you've seen with their backup in Felix Sandstrom, they've only won one game when Carter Hart's not in net. And it just goes to show you how important he has been to that team. Because even earlier in the season, when they won their first seven out of 10, I believe, and they were really kind of rocking and rolling, they're winning games primarily because of Carter Hart, because they're getting killed in shot differential and expected goal differential, territorial differential. And he was the shining star. And now you've seen his play dip a little bit. And I'm not going to leave the last four games at the feet of Carter Hart. He has absolutely not been to blame. But you see what this team is getting when he's not at an absolutely borderline elite level. And earlier in the season, he was at full scale and elite level. So, yeah, he's absolutely been their MVP and been the least of their problems, 100%. And uh, a player on the offensive side of the puck who I don't want to say has put it all together yet, but he's looking, again, much like much like Nick Suzuki, very linear progression in his game is Travis Konechny. And I mean, you, you tell us, you tell the Canadians fans world, uh, is he like a Nick Suzuki, a style kind of guy, crash and bang kind of center or a right wing rather, but you tell us what, what is, what's the strengths of his game? I've always compared him a little bit to Brendan Gallagher, but with a higher offensive upside, because I think Travis Konechny is a guy who can score from distance more than a Gallagher, but a similar type of player who will kind of like get low, get down low, really attack on the forecheck. And he's been electric this year. You know, I think obviously a small sample size, 16 games, I believe he's on pace for over 90 points. And that's a far cry for what he was doing the past two regular seasons when he's really been struggling. And obviously that was a lot to do with the dysfunctionality surrounding the team, the injuries surrounding the team. Obviously they went to through, through two coaching changes and towards the end of the Alain Vigneault regime, it really kind of got ugly there, but he's really kind of put together. He stepped into a, into the limelight here with Philadelphia with Claude Giroux gone with Jake Voracek gone, with Sean Couturier not having played for this team in almost a year at this point, Travis Konechny is the guy up front, and he's kind of been their leader in a lot of ways up front. And look, we know that so far this season, the Flyers have only given out one letter in terms of captaincy. Scott Lawton is the only guy wearing the A on his jersey, but Travis Konechny has really stepped into a leadership role, 
and he's shown it. And look, he has his defensive shortcomings. I still don't think he's a superstar in this league. Do I think he's going to finish with over 90 points? Probably not. But he has been everything you could have expected and hoped for him under a new coaching regime headed by John Tortorella. And given the fact that he's only making $5.5 million for this season and two more, it's an absolutely steal in terms of point production. So a player that I've always ha- I've always been a fan of uh, on the blue line, and I mean he he had a he had a pretty solid season last year, uh, off to a to an okay start. Not in, probably not as much in the goal department than the team would like to see, but uh, Ivan Provorov, he always strike me, you know, very offensive defenseman. Um, how's that working under John Tortorella, a coach like that, who's kind of you know. We'll call him a little more old school. We, we all remember what happened with when he was in Columbus and, and him and Zach Wierenski, you know, had a bit about even though Zach Wierenski put up like eight points in a game or something like that. So uh, how's that working out there, that relationship? Well, you know, Ivan Provorov, I've always been a massive fan of him, but he struggled in terms of his uh, in terms of the, his caliber the last 18 months because he simply hasn't had a partner. You know, he had a really great season in 2019-20 with Matt Niskanen. He was arguably their best skater in the 2020 bubble playoffs. But Matt Niskanen retired following the 2020 bubble playoffs, and they've been on an endless hunt to find a partner for him. You know, in the 2021 COVID-shortened season, he played the lion's share with Justin Braun and Philip Myers, two guys who belong nowhere near a top pair. They go out in the summer of 2021, bring in Ryan Ellis, who was a match made in heaven for Provorov, but then he bows out and probably is never coming back after playing only four games for the Flyers. So then all of last season, once again, he's playing with Justin Braun. He's playing with a rookie in the way of Cam York. They try Rasmus Ristolainen up there, who belongs nowhere near a top pair, and he struggled in terms of his capabilities. And then they go out this offseason, they bring in a guy like Tony D'Angelo, who in my mind is an elite puck-moving defenseman, an elite offensive defenseman, but maybe struggles sometimes defending the rush and in his own zone. And that's kind of Provorov's bread and butter. And what you've seen in terms of deployment from John Tortorella and the defensive coach Brad Shaw is that they've used that pair in a very offensive role and offensive deployment. Both those guys have gotten consistent power play time, and they've left the defensive heavy deployment minutes to Travis Sanheim and Justin Braun. So they've been able to take some pressure off of Provorov. He's not having to start every zone in the D shift, play every shift against the other team's best players, and now they've gotten him a competent partner. I still think there's some room for improvement with Ivan Provorov's game. He's been a very high event defenseman this season, but also that comes with the territory playing with a guy like Tony D'Angelo. But offensively, he's really helped out on the forecheck, and all in all, he's been relied on in a major way by John Tortorella. Well, you, and I guess you kind of answered my my next question, but I, I'd love for you because you're – there's a lot. There's a lot of information coming my way, and I'm loving it because it's giving me a nice deep dive into the Flyers. So you mentioned his name. His D partner is Tony D'Angelo. Uh, offensively, the the experiment. I guess it's safe to say for now it's working out. Um, yep. Defensive, defensively, how's he? How's he looking? Because that I mean that is his position, right? So how how's he looking in his overall game right now? You know, he surprised me because I think there was kind of a misconception about Tony D'Angelo when he came to Philadelphia. And usually, you know, or not usually, but we had been accustomed to a guy, by the way, of Shane Goss's bear, uh, who one time was one of the best offensive defensemen in the NHL, but was really not so good in his own end. 
But D'Angelo comes in and he's been really good in his own end for the most part. He's very good defending with his stick. He has to work a bit on his gap control, but down low, he's really physical. And it's been the trial by fire with Tony D'Angelo. Like he's being used on the penalty kill. Like I said, on the top pair with Ivan Provorov, I believe two nights ago against, I believe it was Columbus, two games ago, rather, he played a career high 31 minutes. So they've been using him in all situations, obviously quarterback in that top power play, a power play that struggled for a bit, but went back on the rails. And they really needed a power play quarterback because they haven't had a true one since the heyday of Shane Goss's beer, probably going back to 2018. So look, I think that you kind of have to live with the shortcomings of D'Angelo because look, he's not an elite shutdown guy, but he's certainly been better than I predicted in his own end. He's been a compliment to the special teams, although the special teams has sputtered a bit in the last week or so. And I think overall, he's been eating a ton of minutes, not so much five on five, five on five. He's still playing less than Provorov and Sanheim in terms of average ice time, but on special teams, he's been a breath of fresh air and has given that coaching staff flexibility because they've been on a long hunt to find a top pairing right shot guy for a long time since the aforementioned retirement madness getting in over two years ago. So I guess you would fall under the pleasant surprise category of the, of the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah. Well, look, you come into this season and look, I was talking to someone within the organization earlier today and the playoffs were not the expectation this year. This year was about setting a new standard and new culture and playing the right way. And even John Tortorella, there's a clip of him talking to to his team before preseason came where he says, we learn to play the right way and the wings will come after that. I think that's why even though they've only won the last two of their last 10, I think their play has been more encouraging. But look, we know that they're not going to contend to it for a playoff spot. Heck, we probably won't even see them in playing meaningful hockey come March time. Like, they'll probably be out of the playoff picture by the time the trade deadline comes around. But that's not what this season is about. It's about figuring out what you have with a lot of your young players and setting a new culture with a shift in identity with Claude Giroux's era being in in the rearview mirror. So, yeah, I guess you could say pleasantly surprised is a good term to put for me. For this point, but at the same time, you really weren't expecting anything from them. You just want to see them play the right way because the last two years has been really bad just in terms of effort. But yes, I am surprised that they're still kind of hovering that 500 mark given all the injuries and given the fact they're just not an overly talented team to begin with. Well, there you go. So you have two teams tomorrow night that try really hard. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's but it's a great way to put it really down at at its brass because that's just going to make for a very, very entertaining game because, you know, the way you're describing the Flyers, it's kind of sounds kind of similar to the Canadians in the sense that, while yeah, they have been losing a lot of games lately. They're 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 not giving up. It doesn't sound like it and it doesn't look like it, at least on the ice. No, of course not. And I think the difference is, is that Montreal has that high-end talent. You have one of the best young goal scorers in the NHL in Cole Caulfield. You have a young up-and-coming number one center in Nick Suzuki. You have a guy like Kirby Doc, who kind of started out as a reclamation project, but has that pedigree as the third overall pick from just a couple of years ago. And you're seeing kind of them benefit from some of the positives that Mark Bergevin left behind. But in terms of the Flyers... Yeah, you have Travis Konechny, who I guess you could say is a top-line player. Maybe not so much of a standalone, but certainly passable. But beyond that, they don't really have a lot of guys who belong anywhere near top line. And even in terms of top six talent, like you have Kevin Hayes, Joel Farabee, although he hasn't been too great this year. Owen Tippett has been a nice surprise. But besides that, it's all bottom six players. 
So I think Montreal has that higher end talent. Maybe the Flyers are a bit stronger on the back end. The goaltending, I would probably say, is is a wash at this point, given the way Montembeau and Allen and the way they've played. But I think that they are two teams that are going to try really hard, like you said, in similar spots. But obviously, Montreal has that high-end talent. Well, there you go. Should make for a very, very entertaining game tomorrow night. Anthony, just before I let you go, where can everyone find your work? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter. Oh, there you go. There's my handle at adamarco 25 <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And obviously my writing at uh, thefourthperiod.com. I, a piece on the Calgary Flames came out earlier today. So be sure to check that out. Well, there you go. Anthony, thank you for joining us on this Friday night and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Anytime, man. Thanks. Take it easy. All right. Sarcast brought by Playground. They have over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and playground casino games, daily promotions, and unmatched customer service. Why not go anywhere else? Located over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes away from downtown Montreal. So, for our next guest, it is time for Sick Picks, and they are presented by Betway. It's time for Sick Picks, brought to you by Betway. So our next guest comes to us from Run My Bets. He goes by Cash. So Cash, how you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I'm excited to get through these games with you. All right, perfect. Uh, Cash, I love it. I love that you just go by Cash because, first of all, that's <laughs> what we're all trying to make. And it's kind of uh, it's kind of like my nickname when I introduce people to me. I go, I call myself my my friends call me Hainer, and they always say the same thing. Yeah, it's like share, just one name. Amazing. So. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this week's NFL slate. Um, you're wearing a Chargers hat, so I'm, I'm assuming you're a Chargers fan. Uh, so you know what? Let's start there. Chiefs are five point favorites over the over the. Uh, I was about to say San Diego Chargers. Wow, uh, the LA Chargers. Uh, the Chargers are at home. A uh, bit of a weird one for me. It kind of reads stay away. If I you put a gun to my head, I'm leaning towards Chiefs minus five. How are you guys reading that? Yeah, so this is the reason why I'm wearing the hat is this is one of my favorite plays the entire week. It's going to be one of my heavier bets this week. I absolutely love the Chargers. I'm all over the Chargers. You saw the line open it up seven and a half, eight points. It came all the way down to five. And there's a reason why it's the injuries. The injury news is huge for the Chargers. They're getting their wide receivers back. They're getting Keenan Allen back and Mike Williams this is absolutely huge for the offense. I think it's going to make a massive improvement, massive difference for Justin Herbert. Another thing is, guys, the Chargers always play the Chiefs close. They always beat them once a year. This is going to be the game. I think the Chargers are going to win outright. Take the points. Take the money line. I love the Chargers plus five, plus five and a half. I bet this at seven early on in the week. I love it all the way down to three, three and a half. Make sure you get on this game. All right, perfect. Because uh, I didn't have strong feelings. I said, if I, again, if you put a gun to my head, I'm taking the Chiefs. But, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, you know, those divisional games, they're always so finicky to bet on. And yeah. uh, the the one that I'm going to throw at you is uh, one that I will be betting on because I don't know if uh, Aniello and Sammy primed you on this, but I am this city of Montreal's biggest Cincinnati Bengals fan. I would argue Canada's biggest Bengals fan. So uh, depends on where you can find it on uh, on Betway. I saw it at three and a half. Other sports books have it at four. Bengals are four are three and a half point favorites. Uh, I'm all over this. All over the Bengals. Uh, I think that this is a big redemption spot. They only lost outright, frankly, because in week one because of stupid mistakes. Joe Burrow threw four interceptions. I 
don't see him doing that again. He even said it himself in a press conference. Um, and then Evan McPherson missed three game winning or two game winning opportunities, which is just very unlike him. Uh, curious to get your thoughts there. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. And the the sharp the sharps have come in. They've made a stance. They they've definitely taken a stance on the Steelers this game. This line opened up about six, and the sharps have moved it all the way down to four. Uh, I don't think it's warranted. I don't think it's justified. I think the, this line's getting just to the point where I'm going to take the Bengals. You said there's a three and a half out on Betway. Right after we get off this, I'm going to take that line 100% because I think three and a half mm. is a good point and a half too short. At five, five and a half, I'd probably lean to the Steelers. I would stay off, but I think the Bengals at three and a half are a little bit undervalued, and they're one of the scariest teams right now. That's a team that not many people are talking about. They're missing their best wide receiver, but uh, at three and a half to four, I have to take the Bengals. I don't have a choice. The number's too low. Uh, it's a revenge game. And after what happened in the first game, I think it was the first week of the season, that was an awful performance. They could have won that game by double digits. They turned the ball over over five times. The kicking was a disaster. Uh, you're going to get – they're coming off a bye too. Joe Burrow is going to be locked and loaded. You're going to get a really focused, really concerted effort from the Bengals. I think this could be a smash spot. And, and like, everyone's everyone's hyping up the Steelers. The Steelers beat the Saints, but the Saints are a bottom-tier bottom, bottom tier team. They didn't really do anything special, right? Kenny Pickett's got two touchdowns and eight interceptions this year. Uh I, if I if I had to bet this game, it would be the Bengals, and I'm going to go bet the Bengals minus three and a half after we get off this call. Yeah, because uh, again, and you said it right there. I mean, it's just fresh Joe Burrow off a bye, and Zach Taylor said it at the beginning of the week. This team is. I, I looked at their schedule. They're playing only teams that are in contention. There are yeah. no more easy games for this team. They know what they have to do. Zach Taylor said it himself. It's in our hands, and. Yeah. I, I think this is one that they know they have to have. They cannot fall 0-4 in the division. So, again, like you said, uh, just a, especially as a Bengals fan, just a total smash spot, and uh, nobody talk to me if they lose. Um, <laughs> so um, one that piqued my interest before we get to uh, the game of the week, uh, one that piqued my interest, and bear with me, everyone that's listening. The reason why it piques my interest is the Panthers at the Ravens. The reason why it piques my interest is because double digit points are always a beautiful thing in the NFL. Yeah. It's crazy. You mentioned that because uh word just came out that Lamar just had his second child. Uh, so it, there was injury news that he was sick, something like that. Word just came out that Lamar had a second child. So he's going to be ready to go and it's going to be after the birth of his second daughter. Um, I, I lean to the Ravens side, but aside from that, I'm going to be betting Lamar props. Uh, I'm going to bet him to have overpassing touchdowns. I'm going to bet him on a rushing touchdown. I'm going to bet him on rushing yards as well. Um, I think this game gets ugly. If I had a lean to the spread, I would take the Ravens. I think the defense is pretty underrated. The last four weeks, their advanced metrics suggest that they're far better than their record. The Ravens, if you really look at it, they lost that brutal game to the Dolphins. They lost that game to the Bills, both two games that they should have won. The Ravens could only have one loss right now, and they – like few things flip differently and they might may have they might be the top team in the AFC and the team to beat. Um I like this Ravens team a lot going forward. I actually think they're a little bit undervalued. It's funny I say that cuz they're 13 point favorites, but <laughs> give me Lamar Jackson off the birth of his new child. Give me Lamar Jackson props, give me the Ravens and I like them in the first half too. I see some eights, I see some seven and a halves. It's a decent number. Uh, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take the Ravens early and I'm going to take them the full game. All right, so you like the Ravens. Uh, whenever I see double-digit points, uh, if it's if I'm going tougher, rationalize a double-digit pointer. Yeah. But I will be teasing the Panthers up to twenty for sure. That's a yeah. nice that that'll be a nice one because they should be able to. I mean, you never know with with the Panthers. Um, another one again. It's just that this is a team to me 
that is just getting way too much respect for frankly no reason and draw this out for everyone watching and everyone going to be listening to this why are the giants only 3 point favorites against the detroit lions it's it's really tricky. The Detroit Lions are a wise guy team. They've been a wise guy team all season, and they haven't delivered, to be frank. They haven't delivered at all. Last week, I think they got a really lucky win over the Bears. That field's pick six was brutal. Um, the wise guys have been betting the Lions, and I anticipate that. The thing is with the Lions is they can score. They've got a they've got a really potent offense. They can score. And the Giants last game, they played the Texans. They didn't look too great. They got outgained by yards per play. Frankly, the the Texans probably should have won that game outright. They got they got in the red zone four times and didn't score a single touchdown. Um, if the Texans play that game out and you play you take the randomness out of there, I think the Texans probably win that game over fifty percent of the time. I think the Giants were extremely lucky to win that game. And if the Giants didn't win that game, I could see that line even being two and a half around there. But here's the thing: everybody knows this. Everybody's going to be on the Giants. They're going to think the Giants are a small favorite. It should be more. Watch out for the Lions. They're a feisty team. They're going to put up a lot of points. If they get in the run game going, get the play action going, I think it can be closer than than a lot of people think. I'm not too high on this Giants team. Um, I know some pros were saying they made this game three and a half to four. That's about where I would put it. If the Lions get to three and a half, I would fire on the Lions. But at three, I'm going to stay put right now. Um, just one other thing to add to you, because uh, you said you got scared of laying double digits points with the, with, uh, the Ravens over the Panthers. And typically, that's a way to lose your money fast is laying double digit favorites a lot especially this year, it's been awful. But John Harbaugh and the Ravens, they have a tendency to blow teams out and have no remorse. Uh, If you look in 2019 and in 2020, they were blowing teams out left and right, 20-point wins, six minutes left, up 27 points, and Lamar Jackson still taking snaps. The Ravens and John Harbaugh coach team, they're not really a team that lays back. They're a team that that goes through the throat, and I could see that game getting really ugly. As far as the Lions, though, I'd lay off. That number gets to three and a half, I would fire for sure. Yeah, it's just to me, it's it's that that defense couldn't stop anything, couldn't stop yeah. a nosebleed. So that's, yeah. and then you have on the other side of the ball, you you know, you're you're going against Saquon, even though you know it's the secondary that's the main issue of the Lions' yeah. defense. It's just, I, I'm with you. It's kind of a tough one. Uh, that's why it's it's interesting to me to see a team like the Lions just not be such heavy heavy underdogs to that team. Yeah. All right, so we will get to the game of the week now. Uh, Minnesota, who, I mean, I got it. I got to eat my words. I got to eat the words. I was not a believer last week. I said it outright. I think they're frauds. And I got to say, they're not frauds, apparently. So, uh, still have my reservations about them, but eight and one, and they are underdogs to the Dallas Cowboys. And funny how these things work. I'm thinking of flipping the script and I'm going to be, I think I might be back in the Minnesota, uh, Minnesota outright. Yeah, uh, be careful with that. Minnesota, the advanced metrics suggest that Minnesota is a mid-tier team and that the Dallas Cowboys are a top-quarter team. Um, I'm looking at Dallas. This is actually going to be probably my biggest bet of the week. I absolutely love the Cowboys. The Cowboys, in my books, I made them about a three-point favorite, even three-and-a-half-point favorite, depending on injuries and all that stuff. But if we get two clean teams, we don't get anything crazy pop up in the injury report, I'm going to be heavy on the Dallas Cowboys minus the one-and-a-half. It's absolutely, it's absolutely one of my top plays this week. I love it. I think the line is short. The Cowboys advanced metrics, they're much better on defense and they're even better on offense. If they didn't lose to the Packers, they were up 28-14. That game should have been over. They should have won that game. If they would have won that game like they should have, the Cowboys would have been three-point favorites. But because everyone saw them lose and everyone saw the Vikings beat the Bills, I think there's a little bit of an overreaction. I think the Vikings are extremely fraudulent. I'm not a buyer on this team. Their 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 turnover margin has been incredible. Uh, their luck variance has been insane. Top five teams in terms of luck, just based on turnovers, randomness, stuff like that. 
Watch out for the Vikings. I think these guys are going to go on a little bit of a skid. I don't know if they're going to lose games necessarily, but I think they're going to go on a skid against the spread. The reason why this number is one and a half, well, the reason why the Cowboys are favored away, it's telling you something. The bookies don't like to give out free money. Everybody's going to be unloading on Minnesota. Watch mm-hmm. out for the Vikings, guys. I think the Cowboys are going to win this one. I can think. I think they're even going to win by double digits. The Cowboys are better on both sides of the ball. Give me the Cowboys. All right, perfect. So you taught me a very valuable lesson of stick to my guns because, you know, it was easy for me to do it a couple of years ago. That that time that uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers made the playoffs and uh, the Bengals stunk that year. I think it was the year they actually ended up uh, drafting Jamar Chase. Yeah. And I think the they started off the year 11-0 and I said, I said to all my friends, guys, they're not good. I'm, I'm telling you, they're 11-0, but they're not good. Yeah. So I'm going to it's it's easy to stick to my guns when it's a rival team. Yeah. I, I you've you've put me back on the bandwagon um of Good. the Vikings are frauds. It's that easy because I wasn't that strong off the wagon. I had one foot on, one foot off. Yeah. Um just a couple more for you because I love these games are are the ones that I'm going to throw at you. I I have my eyes on a couple player props. I mean, how could anyone not be betting on Justin Fields overs this week, especially against the Atlanta Falcons? Yeah, the Atlanta Falcons are missing a very important piece on their D line too. That's going to be able, that's going to hurt them stopping the run. Um, the field here, here's the thing that's scary. This number's gotten so high now, and it's been it's been getting bet every single week. It reminds me a little bit actually of Lamar Jackson in 2019 when he had his rookie campaign. His over rushing prop was just cashing every single game. There's going to be some regression to that number, and what Fields is doing is historic. It's really honestly, it's never been done before. He might have the single, uh, the single highest record for rushing yards in a season by a quarterback. He probably will have it, and what he's doing is incredible. I'd be careful with the prop. I just think, I think it's getting a little bit too high. Earlier on in the week, I think it was about 12 points lower. You might have been able to get it at a nice spot, but this line's been getting bumped, bumped by the public. The sharps have been all over it too. I think the prop's a little bit too high in the game, though. I do really like the Chicago Bears. I can't believe they're catching three points. I absolutely love them off a loss. Um, it's going to be a tight game. I really think it's going to be a tight game. I think it's a field goal type Nate type game. I like the Chicago Bears. I'm going to have plus three in my pocket on Sunday for sure. So just one more for you before I let you go. Uh, I'm going to give you this one. I mean, I was all over this. I wish I am kicking myself that I did not do it. I was going to go. Uh, with the over, knowing with the weather, thinking that the game was going to be played in Buffalo, I'm talking about the Buffalo Bills hosting Cleveland Brown in Detroit now. It got bumped way up. I was going to go, uh, actually, I was going to go uh, under 41 points, and then, it got, and then it got bumped, so I'm happy I didn't in the end. But uh, yeah, this game, we'll talk about the spread, because the Buffalo Bills, interesting team. You know, they're world beaters, Super Bowl favorites, all this. Then it's funny how things can change in two weeks. Now you've been bringing up a lot of advanced metrics, which I love because they bring de- they bring back the underlying numbers that a lot of people, including myself, don't look at too often. Yeah. Um, but what are they saying about the Bills? Because you know these are some these are some ugly losses they've been making right now. As of- yeah, the the Bills have been struggling in the second half. It's they haven't scored a touchdown in the second half, and I think it's been three weeks now. But make no mistake about it. This is an elite team. This is a team that's super pissed off about last week. Um, there's one way to play this game, and it's super easy. You're going to tease them. You're going to take a six-point teaser. You're going to get them through all the key numbers. You're going to get them down to minus one and a half. Uh, you're going to go through the seven, seven and a half, seven. You're going to go through the fours and the threes. Uh, and you're going to you can pair that up with anything else on the board. Uh, San Francisco uh, play on Monday night. They play against the Cardinals. You can tease them from eight down to two. You're again, you're going to get through all the key numbers. And here's the reality of it. I think the Bills are going to cover seven and a half. 
I wouldn't guarantee it, but I can almost guarantee that the Bills are going to win this game. They're super pissed. They're going to be in a nice setting in Detroit. They're not going to have to worry about the snow. There's not going to be as much variance. I think the Bills are super pissed. They're going to come out furious. I think they're going to destroy them. They could cover the seven and a half. I think they 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 probably will. I'm just going to take a safer number. I'm going to get minus one and a half on the Bills here against Cleveland on the yeah. six point. Uh, I, I'm there with you. I think this team is very angry, and an angry Josh Allen is not a Josh Allen I want to be facing, especially yeah. if I'm Cleveland. Um, so, Cash, uh, tell us a little bit about Run, uh, run My Bets. Yeah, so, Run My Bets is just my company. Basically, I work with a team, small team of guys. We work on numbers. We, we make numbers for these games all day. We bet these games all day. This is what I do for a living. This is my job. I bet sports for a living, and I watch sports for a living. Analysis, come find me out on Instagram at run my bet same thing on twitter shoot me a message i'll shoot you guys over some free plays i'm just going to give one more free play if you don't mind just one more game i wanted to talk about it's the right. Eagles and the colts really like the colts plus six and a half i fired on this at seven i sent mm-hmm. it to my clients a few days ago when the number hit seven you got matt ryan playing you got jonathan taylor playing this number is inflated the eagles just showed you that their defense can be run on i think that's what's going to happen i don't know if the colts are going to win but they're going to stay within the number for sure I love it. I love it because uh, I jotted that I jotted that game down and I looked at the clock and I said, oh, my God, we are going long. So, Cash, I just want to thank you for joining us on Friday night and uh, have a great rest of your weekend and enjoy the football. You too, bro. Thanks. All right. So it is time for my sick picks of the weekend. I'm going to give you a call. So it is tomorrow football really starts because thank god it's football doesn't just mean uh sunday is football it means there's college football on saturday and i'm going to tell you something and i felt really bad about it that i didn't say it on the podcast but i didn't feel confident enough to give it to you and this week i do so last week the number four team in the country of the united states that is is tcu they were facing number 18 texas as seven point underdogs that is the number four team undefeated they were at nine and oh seven point underdogs against the number 18 team in the country that was the biggest layup i've ever had and i felt really bad about not giving it to you guys so i had an eye on the line this week they are playing against unranked baylor and only two and a half point favorites, they are still not getting any respect. And I think that might have to do with last year's college football playoff and the Cincinnati effect of, you know, whoever the four team is, they're not really that good. They're going to get blown out in the playoff anyways. Well, this isn't the playoff. TCU is 10-0 and now because they won outright against Texas as seven-point dogs. TCU minus two and a half. I'm taking that all day. And like I said with Cash, I'm all over the Bengals this week. The Bengals are pissed off about week one. Joe Burrow was faced with nonstop questions about the four interceptions that he threw, the fumble that he gave up. So that's five turnovers on his hands. He is terribly angry and he is off a bye. By the way, not many people know this. Trey Hendrickson gave all the love on the defense of the Bengals. But DJ Vader, before he went down with an injury was the far and away the best player on the Bengals defense. That defense is going to be tight. I don't see the Steelers scoring many points. Give me the Bengals minus three and a half. Okay, so we spoke with Anthony DeMarco uh, just a couple minutes ago. Well, you heard it. The Flyers don't have a lot of talent. What do they do? They try really hard. Well, the Montreal Canadiens do have talent, and they also try very hard, and they're also coming off two losses on the road. I think they bounce back against Philadelphia at home, take the Montreal Canadiens. Now, 
We're going to switch to another sport. We're going to switch to soccer because it is the World Cup starting on Sunday morning. The beautiful game is back. And Qatar is not doing its best to showcase the game. Let's be real here. All the reports on Twitter are showing, you know, inflated inflated prices of food they're not allowed to drink beer in the stand you know it's, it's easy to attack qatar um listen just enjoy the tournament for what it is it's it's a great moment for canada for for all of us from canada that are listening you know our team hasn't been in there for 36 years enjoy it but that game's on wednesday we're gonna go to the opening game of qatar against ecuador well the host nation of the world cup has never lost the opening game ever. That doesn't necessarily mean they've won the game, but they have not lost. Well, I saw a report that Qatar offered some Ecuadorians some money to throw the game. I don't know if it's true or not, but hey, Qatar was able to buy a World Cup. Why wouldn't they be able to buy a win? I'm joking. Half, not really. Uh, I'm taking Qatar straight up. It's just a too nice of a number for a host nation that has never lost. Well, the host nation has never lost So uh, the opening game. So I'm going to take Qatar straight up. That is a beautiful, beautiful number you're getting. I think it's at 3.2 times your money. Uh, that's just one pick. And um, I am going to be on for my last pick. He said it was a bit of an inflated number, Cash did. But I'm still running with Justin Fields. As long as he's running, I'm running. Justin Fields over 69 and a half rushing yards. There you go. Those are your sick picks. And hey, because it's the World Cup, I'm a nice guy. Listen, you don't got to reinvent the wheel with a lot of things. So I'm going to give you one for free. And I put together a five-team group winning parlay. So I took group winners of five different groups. And again, you don't need to overthink these things. If you want to bet a big number, That's what's going to get you the money. So that's what I did. I parlayed five teams. I put Argentina to win their group, England to win their group, France to win theirs, Brazil to win theirs, Portugal to win theirs. Not going out on a limb on that one. Those are the four. Those are five favorites. I think they're all five are going to win their groups. They all should win their groups. And that pays a beautiful, beautiful number. I put $74 down on that bad boy and it will, and it will win me 426 clean. That's it for me. Thank you. And uh, thank you for Aniello and Sammy behind the scenes sticking with me. I went, I went a little late, but that's okay. We were having fun on this show. Thanks for sticking with me. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. I'll be back next Friday. Peace. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the sick podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google play and Apple podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6. Intense by nature. And La Cage. If the last time you went to La Cage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to La Cage. The menu will surprise you. 